Hello, I'm Dan Mullins. Welcome to my podcast about the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James. I've published more than 100 episodes of the podcast and I've bristled at the suggestion of introducing advertising of any kind. I've now established a Patreon site. If you like what I do and would like to support me going forward, go to danmullinsmusic.com and there's a tab there where you can be a Patreon supporter. I'm asking for the equivalent of a cafe con leche each week. I loathe asking for money. I balked for years when my dear friend Sister Josephine would ask me to do the plate at Mass. The thought of asking for money makes me kind of distraught. But anyway, everyone I asked, people I trust said, Dan, you should have a Patreon page. So it is. I have a book in the final stages of completion, a new album written and in the throes of production, and the podcast continues to grow week in, week out. Patrons will receive extra podcasts, a monthly newsletter, and strictly exclusive videos as well. My week-to-week podcast won't be partitioned, so you'll still have access to the full back catalogue and each new podcast. So if you'd like to sponsor me, go to patreon.com forward slash danmullins or danmullinsmusic.com. The American poet Mary Oliver died in January this year. Our local paper published one of her poems. I cut it out. It's called... Wild geese, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I'll tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. My guest this week is Sarah Duma. This is a great story. Sarah's on the line from Curaçao in the Caribbean. Welcome, Pilgrim. Hello. You have walked some of the world's great hikes, including the Camino de Santiago. So let's start with the Camino. Do you remember where you first heard about it? I, I, you know what? I don't recall the first time. I think, I think I'd seen it mentioned different, different uh, publications and articles, but I don't, but I didn't really explore what it was about. But it always kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, but, but your life changed a few years back. You kind of fainted at a bus stop, and it turned your world upside down. Tell us your story. <laughs> Well, I've always been an explorer. I've love uh, travel backpacking, so not just uh, long distance walking and hiking, but exploring uh, different countries and exotic places. Uh, but what happened um, in December 2015 was. I was uh, coming home from work, and I was feeling a little sick. I, I thought maybe I was coming down with the flu. And I was walking through the bus terminal, and all of a sudden, this feeling of absolute dread washed over me, and I passed out. 
when I woke up, I didn't know where, what had happened to me. I had no idea. I thought, oh, maybe um, I didn't eat enough that day or I didn't have enough sugar. But I did eventually go to the hospital and they told me that my lungs were filled with blood clots and I had a large saddle pulmonary embolism uh, near my heart and it was a life-threatening condition. And uh, that moment when I passed out in the bus station is when a blood clot in my leg had broke free and traveled to my lungs. And it was a one in three chance that I would have died instantly. So I was lucky to beat the, those odds and I was able to recover in hospital. And uh, I decided that day in hospital, uh, life is too short. I'm going to start checking off my bucket list, which is a lot of a lot of hiking. Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember when they told you um, that it was a, a one in three chance? Do you remember the, the the thought that went through your head? But you know, wow, I was I'm a survivor. <laughs> yeah, I I I thought you, you know that these things happen to other people. They there's no way it could ever happen to me or anything. But like I thought I was invincible. And when, when they told me that it was like, okay, I'm not invincible. Uh, I, I really need to take, take care with my life and I need to do the things I need to do. So how many Caminos have you walked now? Oh, I don't, (laughs) you know what? I don't, I don't even know. Maybe nine or 10 different routes. Wow. And you've, you've hiked in more than 70 countries around the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hiking here in Curacao tomorrow. <laughs> I bet you are. Tell us about the, the Ruta de la Lana the, or the wool route. I don't think many people are familiar with it. Yeah, so um, the Ruta de la Lana uh, starts in Alicante in the uh, southeast of Spain, and it runs up the center of Spain and connects in Burgos with the Camino Francis. And that route is based on an old kind of shepherd's path or shepherd's route that, uh, you know, a lot of routes in Spain for different things become pilgrimage routes because it's the easiest way for people to get places. And uh, there have been uh, some historical things found that pilgrims did walk that way, and they've done a great job waymarking it and trying to keep it as close as possible to the historic route. Did you? Was there plenty of places to stay? Um, I wouldn't say that there's plenty. The stages are pretty, uh, there's not much deviation from the recommended stages because, uh, a lot of the places to stay are exactly one day's walk, uh, apart. And some of the stages are longer. So, uh, for people who maybe like to walk shorter days, less than say 20 kilometers a day, they might run into some problems. And, how long did it take you to walk the section uh, from the start up to Burgos? Do you remember? Uh, I, th- I think it was uh, just over a month or so. Right. But I also did take some time off to uh, sightsee. And I also took uh, an option- optional little detour to visit uh, the medieval town of Seguenza. Oh, how gorgeous. And you walked the Inglés too. I understand that's very beautiful. 
Uh, yeah, it's a sh- it's a short Camino. It's nice and compact. And when you when you start out, you're by the coast, so you have the sea view and you get all that seafood stuff. And then you start walking <laughs> inland into more forest and wooden areas as you approach Santiago. And there's some a lot of trees and some great rolling hills to walk on. You say hiking on remote trails is where you feel most alive. Do you get lonely? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, d- I don't think I, I do get lonely because I'm very comfortable, uh, being with my thoughts. Uh, my mind is always going a million miles and, uh, I'm always thinking of new exciting things I want to do in the future, or I'm just taking in the surroundings and looking at the birds or looking at the plants. And I find that the day just passes by so quickly when I'm walking that there's no time for loneliness. What about scared? Do you get scared? Uh, the, I, on the Caminos, I don't really have a lot of fear because the terrain and the way marking is usually pretty manageable. Um, the only time I might have caution is if I have to cross a river or if I am worried I am getting lost or uh, I'm, I might be walking the wrong direction and find myself at a gate and be locked and have to uh, be walking in the dark. That's the only time I have any kind of fear, but it's it's quite seldom. You know, I read somewhere where you said, I'm not going to wait until I'm retired because what if I don't make it to retirement? Sometimes you need to do your (laughs) living now, don't you? Yeah. um, You know, I've met so many people, so many older people, and they say to me, like, Sarah, you're doing it, you're doing it right. Because I always thought I was going to do X, Y, and Z when I retired, and now uh, my body physically can't do it, or it's my things that I want to do have changed. Uh, there's family commitments. There's other commitments that come up. And so by me doing the things I want to do now, I've locked them in. I have those memories to cherish forever. I don't have to delay any, any of that. So tell us about North Korea. (laughs) 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 Well, well, see, yeah, I really, I really do like going to um, interesting places, and there's just been so much in the media about North Korea. Uh, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real, and so I thought I'm going to see what it's like for myself. So, um, as long as you're not uh, South Korean or American, it's pretty easy to actually book a trip and go there, and it's not very expensive at all. And so um, I booked a trip that included a little bit of hiking because, you know, that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I, I went to North Korea and it, it exceeded my expectations. The people there were so lovely and uh, I had a lot of fun, did some great sightseeing. And um, it's, it's a place that I'd love to return to in the future. You say friends and family warned against going to North Korea or any dangerous place, but it actually inspires you. It fuels your interest and motivates you to go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 
I, I like doing things that are different. And uh, quite often things that are different are different for a reason because it's perceived as maybe not being as safe as, you know, booking a trip to Curacao. Uh, but uh, my, my friends and family, they, they know me and they realize that I'm just pretty much going to do what I want to do. So it's better not to stand in my way because I'm, I'm going to go anyhow. Uh, they know I take uh, as much safety precautions as I can. And I always make sure I'm in a kind of, uh, I'm, I know if something went wrong, I know what to do in a scenario. Now, you can protect yourself all you like, but sometimes nature throws up some pretty wild obstacles. Tell us about the angry bees on the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, on the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, um, so at about mile number 202 in the desert, uh, there is um, a cliff section where there's a... a uh, bee's nest or a wasp nest. I'm not, I'm not even sure what exactly it is that is notorious for stinging people. And there's actually a horse, uh, that died and fell off the, the, the canyon in that part. And so everyone knows that there, that nest is there. And so, uh, when I got ready, I put on a insect head net and I knew the area and I got ready to go and I was walking very, very quickly, but the bees came out and they chased me. It seemed like it was about a quarter mile and I did get stung. So I, I tried my best, but they, they still got me. So how many, I mean, it's hard to say how many bees, but was it like an, a big swarm of bees? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I was running. If I, if I had lingered there, it would have been really, really bad. How extraordinary. And, uh, they, were, they were trying to sting like my backpack and different things that they, they couldn't get to my skin. So, so you have to carry your own food on the Pacific Crest Trail, don't you? Yes. Uh, you, you can uh, resupply usually every uh, three to six days or so. My longest carry, I think, was about 10 days worth of food. So how heavy is your pack? Uh, that depends. My base weight, so that's the not including food or water, um, is usually between six to eight pounds. Okay. Then and then what- it depends. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it depends on uh, the section, how much water I need. So in the desert, I would carry maybe another six pounds worth of water compared with in the north. There's water everywhere. So I'd only have maybe an extra one pound of water in the north. You said somewhere that you felt truly alive on the Pacific Crest Trail. What's it like to feel truly alive? <laughs> uh, when... When you're in um, deep wilderness, like the Pacific Crest Trail, you you feel so reliant, uh, like you feel so sufficient with just a little backpack. Like it's you against nature. You're you're the the boss of everything that's going on around you. You get to decide when you eat, when you break camp, when you uh, decide to go for a swim, uh, when, how long you want to linger under a tree or sit on a rock and watch a a sunset, you're, you're in charge of everything. And, um, 
the the wilderness is going on around you like you see deer and uh hawks in the sky sometimes bears uh it's it's just very humbling and you say standing on the top of the pass looking out over lakes and mountains makes you feel powerful it's healthy and empowering to feel that power isn't it i i yes i i definitely think so it's uh, this is the way I believe humankind was was meant to to be, not in buildings and not with uh, computers and cell phones and technology, uh, but more um, being part of part of the world as a whole, part of part of nature. And when you get to the top of a, a mountain pass that you've struggled on, you've you've triumphed. You've you've beat nature almost. <laughs> Yeah, and yet it wasn't without its significant risks because you almost fell off a mountain in California. Oh yes, um, in Northern California, uh, I was in a snowy section, and I mis- made a miscalculation on where I should be walking, and I was walking on a slope. I did not have micro spikes on my shoes. And I started to slide down the mountain. Uh, so I, I had to uh, use my trekking poles to self-arrest. So self-arrest is stop yourself from falling. Normally, uh, an ice axe would work better, but I didn't have an ice axe with me. So I flipped over onto my belly, and then I dug my trekking poles in as deep as I could as I was sliding down the mountain. And those trekking poles... They bent at almost a 90-degree angle, but they held my weight and they stopped me from falling any further. Then I hung there for a moment and I thought, oh, geez, where am I? I'm on the side of the mountain. I need to get back up to the trail or I'm going to probably die here because there's nobody around. No one saw me fall. There's nobody coming. Uh, So I uh, started kicking in steps and um, digging my poles up higher and higher, and I was able to climb back up to the trail. And I hiked out to a road and hitched hike into town, and I got a nice stiff drink. <laughs> are, you, are you a religious person? Um, well, I, I grew up Muslim, Um uh, but my my dad's Muslim and my mom's Catholic, but I don't practice any kind of formalized religion at this time. But you know, it's hard not to feel spirituality when you're out in yeah. the woods or you're at the top of a mountain or you're you're on a lake. So, yeah. Yeah. so there, there's that. Yeah, I'm yeah. just I'm just wondering if you're praying when you're stuck on the side of a mountain with your poles, the only things sort of keeping you alive. Um, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really praying. I'm more like, uh, psyching myself up and encouraging yeah. myself to, to, to solve the problem and get to safety. What do your family and friends make of all of this? This new you? <laughs> um, the, the, the majority of them, they, they think it's great. They, they, they encourage me and they say, keep doing what, what you're doing because uh, I wish I could or I wish I had 
the strength to, but you do. So go ahead. I want to go back to the Camino and people tend to connect quickly and on a kind of deep level on the Camino. Was that your experience with other pilgrims? Um, yes. Uh, most of the, most of the time I, I walk alone. Um, but there have been some pilgrims that I have walked some Caminos with that, you know, they, they become, they become part of my heart. They, like we, like, I feel like we were, we were meant to meet and we were meant to do that walk together. And it's, it's always, it's always kind of sad though, because you know, it's going to end and you know, it can't last forever. And, and a lot of pil- other pilgrims I meet, they don't live in the same country or even the same continent as me. And so I don't know if I'll ever see them again, but, uh, for that brief moment in time, it's just such a, such an intense, uh, deep connection, it's great. In fact, some of my closest Camino friends are Canadians. Oh, really? Yeah, and from not far from you, uh, as as it turns <laughs> out as well. Yeah, Ontarians. They're they're a nice. They're a beautiful people, aren't they? The Canadians. They're a lot like Australians. We kind of we're kind of outdoorsy people. We're very friendly. We have a very good sense of humour. So we're good pilgrims <laughs> to get to know, aren't we? Well. I, I think I'm a pretty good pilgrim, so yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, the Camino provides. Is that true in your case, do you think? Oh, yes, definitely. The Camino has provided so many times. Um, I, in, in, in unexpected ways, uh, for example, um, when I was on the Via de la Plata, I broke a shoelace and I had a really rough day. I think I walked, I walked over 40 kilometers and I think it was more like 45 because I got lost and I came in really, really late to a place and to the albergue and um, the bartender there who gave me the key. Um, I, I asked him, do you know where I can buy a shoelace? And he was, he said, no, everything's closed. Everything's closed. And so I was really disappointed. I was thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow? I have no, no shoelace. And so he's, he said, just, just go for dinner. Just go for dinner. So I went for dinner and, uh, when I came back, he had a shoelace for me. (laughs) I I don't know where he got it from, (laughs) but he, he had a brand new shoelace for me because it was a very small village. There's no shops. Like, Everything was closed. It was late. Great story. And so that, so yeah. So the Camino definitely provided because I don't think I could have walked another long stage with the with a without a shoelace in my shoe. It wouldn't the shoe wouldn't have worked properly. So being such a seasoned hiker, what sort of shoes do you wear? Oh, I wear uh, trail running um, type hiking shoes. Uh, I never wear waterproof because waterproof is absolutely terrible for long distance walking. Uh, Because uh, waterproof shoes uh, 
if they get wet in the rain, then they stay wet for days and uh, they don't breathe. And so you get a lot of blisters there. Your feet are very hot inside. So I like to wear breathable shoes uh, that are comfortable and light on the feet. And and you mentioned that you walk with poles. Do you always walk with poles in Spain as well on the Camino? <laughs> Um, I try to as much as possible walk with poles just because it's, it's easier on my body. And I like the rhythm of, of kind of pumping my arms because sometimes I find when I don't, then my, I, my, my hands swell up and things. Uh, but, um, yeah, I didn't have poles when I did, um, 10 days on the Malaga Mozarbi Camino and I had to find a stick because, I was going crazy without them. That's really interesting because when you talk about the rhythm of your arms, uh, and the poles is a pretty good workout for your arms too, isn't it? Yeah, I I think so. And and it doesn't feel like a workout because they're so light in the hands. And you just – I know when people try them, they usually hate them. But after a day or two, you don't even notice that they're there. What about headphones? Do you listen to music? Um, I do have headphones. I don't always listen to music. Um, when it's a road walk uh, or it's something quite dull, then I like listening to music or maybe a podcast. Uh, or if uh, it's the end of the day and I'm feeling tired, or then I'll listen to music. But generally, maybe maybe only like... 15% of the time I'll, I'll have headphones in. And you film a lot of your adventures on your, on your phone. So is the phone the only tech you take with you? Yes. Yeah. So I have my cell phone and then I also have an external battery bank um, to help keep my cell phone charged. And then I have a headlamp that also charges with the external battery bank. So when you're on the Camino and you're not carrying food, how heavy is your bag? <laughs> it depends on the Camino uh, because um, like, if I'm carrying a sleeping bag, then it's heavier. But um, I think on the Vida La Plata, I just had a sleep sheet and I had a very, very small pack. And I think my bag was maybe five pounds. Wow. Wow. And maybe you, a little less. And you mentioned your sleeping bag. That was one of my next questions. What type of sleeping bag do you use? Um, so uh, for this most recent Camino, I had a summer weight uh, sleeping bag. And so I have one from a small cottage uh, maker in the United States called Local Libre. And so it's a uh, very light, actually, it's not even sleeping bag, it's a quilt. So it um, is open on the bottom because with a sleeping bag, you don't need anything underneath you because you're because you only need the warmth up top. So the quilt is even smaller than that. And it's, I think it's about 10 ounces in weight. Wow. And, and so how would, would that pack down to say the size of a, I don't know, a, how, how big is that in your bag, a, a, a quilt of that size? Is it as, is, does it squash down to as big as your fist, say, for instance, or, or the low size of a loaf uh, of bread? Or? No, it's, it's kind, of, kind of like a grapefruit. Okay, that's small. I wow. would say, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah. And, and and you found that was warm enough? You didn't have any problems with it? Um Yeah, it was it was okay for for walking in December. Uh there were a few cold nights um when when there was no um heating, but but I survived. So how many kilometers on average do you walk a day? If someone's listening and they're thinking of walking, how far do you walk per day on uh, average? Uh, it depends. It depends on the terrain and it depends what kind of trail I'm on. Um, if I'm on uh, the Camino, then I'm, I can easily do 40 kilometers, no problem. Wow. Uh, but it's more comfortable for me to do like 35. Um, if I need to, I can do up to 50 kilometers if I, have, if I really want to make a longer distance. But 35 is, is more comfortable. And, and having travelled to more than 70 countries, what do you make of the albergues on the Camino? How do they stack up with other places around the world? Well, there's a reason why I keep coming back to the Caminos. Uh, it's just, it's it's a walker's paradise. I mean, you don't have to um, carry a tent if you don't want to. And um, the accommodations are varied, but it's always very inexpensive. So um, I, I, I kind of love the, the mystery of not knowing what the albergue is going to be like until I arrive there. Because <laughs> some albergues, you know, are, are very, um, very basic and very Spartan, which is fine. And then some of them just really shock you and they're like a, like a gorgeous luxury home. Um, but when you're, when you're, say, hiking in America on a uh, long-distance trail, um, the hostels there are usually just kind of bunks with a common room. Not, not so much personality. The albergues uh, in Spain have a lot of personality. What do you do to prevent blisters? Oh, to prevent blisters. Well, uh, my number one secret weapon is to put antiperspirant on your feet. So on the sole of your feet and between your toes, because that will keep your feet from uh, sweating and uh, rubbing and uh, and it's really light and easy to carry and it's really inexpensive. So a spray antiperspirant or, or a roll-on or, no. or a stick? No, roll. Yeah, you need a roll-on. The spray one is, is no bueno, but the, 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 um, the, the uh, solid stick ones. I know in um, Spain, a lot of them, it's kind of like a liquid one that you roll on. You don't want that. You want the solid stick. How incredible. I've never heard of that before, but you swear by it, huh? It works. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for years. And, uh, <laughs> so and how, I, let me just ask you something. Have you ever worked out how far you've walked? No. See, you know, people are asking, were asking me how how many how many miles did you or kilometers did you walk last year? And I'm like, I don't even know. And they're like, you should we should calculate it. And I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter. See, I just walk. The Pacific Crest Trail the distance is doesn't matter. <laughs> it's the journey, right? And and, and the Exactly. And, but, I, I don't care. But the the Pacific Crest Trail is four thousand something kilometers, isn't it? Yes. And how yeah. long did that take you? 
Well, um, I was I was walking it for six months, but I did a lot of sightseeing and I did a lot of um, town stops and things. So some it was like one full month of it, I probably wasn't walking days. Uh, and I could have done it a lot faster, but I was having a lot of fun. And I had to flip around because uh, I arrived at the High Sierra uh, in the middle of a snowstorm. And I wasn't going to be going up into the, ha- the highest mountains of America in the middle of a snowstorm. It's, what's life like when you return home from these adventures? Well, uh, so I live in a small apartment with my husband. So uh, a big a big thing is spending time with my husband when I'm home. And uh, I'm figuring out what kind of gear I need to update and replace and things I need to book for the next trips. And what's in store for 2019? Uh, uh, a lot of stuff. So uh, when I come home from Curacao, I'm home for two days. And then I'm off to Greece with my husband. And that's more just like a vacation for us. Uh, but then um, I'll return home and uh, prepare uh, to hike the Israel National Trail at the end of February. And so that is uh, crossing the entire length of Israel. It uh, doesn't go in a straight line. It kind of meanders around. And uh, I, that should take me about 45 days. Then I'm going to uh, go to New Mexico and start walking from the Mexican border up through the Continental Divide. Uh, so it's called the Continental Divide Trail. And it follows uh, the Rocky Mountain chain uh, all the way through the United States to Alberta. And uh, because it follows the Continental Divide, it roots you as high as possible. So it's a lot of a lot of mountains. How long is that going to take you? Just just before you go on, sorry, Sarah. How long is that going to take you? The Continental Divide. Um, I think it's going to take me about five months. Wow! Because I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to be like take my time as I did on the Pacific Crest Trail. I'm going to really kind of focus and, and get the miles in. Okay. So what's after that? Then um, in the middle of September, um, I'm going to be going to Scotland and walking the West Highland Way. And then someone told me about uh, another way that can, that you can extend the West Highland Way. I think it's like the Glengarry Way or something like that. So I'll do that way too. And then I'm going to uh, do come to Spain and do the Camino uh, Salvatore and the Camino Primitivo. Depending how much time I have, I may do some other walking. But then after that, I'm going to go to Australia and walk the Bibblemun track in the southwest of Australia. So that starts in Perth, and then it goes along, kind of along the coast. And then um, in December, I'm going to walk the Lishan Way, and that is uh, on the coast of Turkey. And then come back home, and then I have to plan my winter. <laughs> You are amazing. This is, it's just such an incredible story for a woman. Now, you're only, it's not nice to ask a woman her age, but you're only in your 30s, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm 37 years old and I've been hiking full time since um, August 2017. That's when I last worked. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of, doing as much hiking as I can and using uh, my life savings towards that hiking. Um, And then when that's out, then I'll have to find another job. (laughs) 
probably <laughs> won't be for a long time, but I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine you being kept in one space for too long at all. But if I were to pick you up, now all of this traveling you've done, if I were to pick you up and place you one pl- place in the world, where would it be? That, that you think I would be or I would like to go to? Where you'd like to go to. Oh, oh, that's an easy one. Antarctica. It's the only continent I haven't been to yet. Can you walk much uh, there? <laughs> mm, they, there is a marathon you can run on Antarctica. Uh, I won't be doing that, but um, there is some hiking you can do. Hiking and mountaineering stuff. So for someone one who... One day, one day. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Somebody who's visited over 70 countries and walks like you do and goes on adventures like you do, it's only a matter of time, I'd have thought, before you get down there. How far ahead do you think? Have you only thought about 2019? Have you thought about 2020 or 2021? Oh, uh, well, in 2020, um, I want to finish uh, the Appalachian Trail. So I have a big section there. And so if I complete the Continental Divide Trail and if I finish the Appalachian Trail in 2020, I'll, 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 we'll have achieved the triple crown of hiking. So that's, that's like the big goal. I want to take and then, you, yeah. uh, and, and Caminos, of course, Caminos, always Caminos. I'm addicted to those. <laughs> I want to take you back to when this journey began back in 2015, the pulmonary embolism. If you could whisper something into your own ear back then lying in hospital when you thought, my gosh, my life could change forever, what would you tell yourself? With the knowledge I have now, um, I would say, Sarah, you're... You're going to recover and you're, you're going to do it. You're, you're going to li- live your dreams. Things might look grim now, but just wait. You're going to be amazed. And what have you learned about yourself throughout this incredible journey? Um, I've, what have I learned? I've learned that there's always there's always something new to see. There's always uh, people to meet. There's a and and there and all these people and all these places are just waiting for me. And so I need to to get out there and I need to to visit them. And that's that's like. That's my new purpose. Long may your adventure continue, Pilgrim. I've, I've just really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Congratulations on living the life many of us would love to live, but perhaps are too frightened to do so. So congratulations and thank you very much for your time. And I hope your travels continue long, prosperous and safely. Walk on. Pilgrim? Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Thank you. My guest this week is Sarah Duma, a true pilgrim. Google Sarah's adventures. There are some excellent videos on YouTube. An extraordinary story. Surname spelled D H 
O-M-A. The American poet Mary Oliver wrote a poem, Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. Doesn't get any better than that. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way